When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi guys, I'm Jim. Uh, I'm the Leicester City fan for the EPL Roundtable. You can find me on Twitter at JimNightTweet. Hi guys, I'm Dan, Arsenal fan, and you can get me on Twitter at the underscore jersey underscore fits. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining me today, guys, especially Dan, who's been out for a while. Welcome back. Um, I figured we'd start off by talking, as everybody surely will, about that super exciting match that just happened between Liverpool and Manchester United. Only problem was that despite all the hype, it didn't wind up being that great of a match. This is certainly not a new occurrence. A lot of big matches that have been overhyped in past years have not lived up to it. Um, But it did feel a little bit different, especially without fans in the ground. Did did this feel like it was a match between title contenders to either of you? I mean, yes, in the sense that you look at the table and it definitely was, but I think <laughs> it literally the, was, yeah. wider point, the, the wider point about the um, the kind of big six games, um, if you like, is that I think a lot of them are played not to lose rather than trying to win. I think there's, there's often a negative... Um, attitude from all managers it used to be like it was Jose Mourinho's calling card for example where he would just try and nullify the opposition in big games like this whereas I think that is becoming a little bit more contagious now potentially this season it's because of fatigue as well um, and managers being a little bit more cagey um, tactically but also players not quite being able to reach the heights of um, a season where you've not played essentially back-to-back seasons uh, with very little in between. Um, I was looking on Twitter earlier about this and saw um, there was a good stat um, that it's now four nil-nil draws in 15 games where it's between two big six, quote-unquote big six teams this season. So that's 27%. Um, if you take the rest of the 161 Premier League games combined, there's been nine nil-nils, which is 6%. So maybe too early to draw too many conclusions in terms of like a big sample size versus a small sample size. Um, but that is quite stark um, when you consider um, that stats from Mark O'Hare, who's a good um, follower from uh, betting and a stats point of view, if anybody doesn't already follow him. But yeah, it does seem that managers, certainly to my eye, are setting up not to lose games, which leads inevitably to these encounters where you get to maybe 70 minutes in uh, I think we saw it a little bit. Not that either team look especially like scoring, but there weren't that many chances in the game to begin with. And then as the, the kind of inevitable draw rumbles on um, towards you, teams aren't willing to take risks and, you know, overcommit on the counter-attack, for example, um, or, or push too high up the field for fear of being caught themselves. And that just inevitably leads to a bit of a stalemate where it's like an agreed draw, um, where it kind of suits both teams, especially at this midpoint of the season where... 
no one wants to give too much away. The season won't be won or lost here, so everyone feels a little bit like a draw. Particularly somewhere like Anfield is is a good result, unfortunately for the neutral, anyway. Yeah, it's tough because this is one of those games, especially if it, I think the time of the year has something to do with it. Um, mm. But United are naturally incentivized to kind of play a bit more conservatively. One, just based on how they played normally, like they much prefer to get them a counter than uh, try and break a team down and pass the football a lot. Uh, then they're also the away team. They're, I think, generally well, they may be higher in the table, but I think most people would say they're generally considered the worst team. So they're naturally incentivized for a lot of reasons to sit back. I mean, Liverpool, uh, with all the games they've played and with all the injuries they have, um, they're starting two midfielders, the centre backs. They have reasons to maybe play a bit more conservatively as well. Though, to in fairness to the mid-start start four attackers, um, yes, yeah, so that for this game specifically, there are some obvious factors where. You could see it being a bit, everyone, like he said, doesn't want to lose. You just kind of want to keep it cautious. And I think if it's part of the season where it's much more likely to lose the title than win it. Um, so, again, it's lot, there's lots of incentives for both sides to be a bit more cautious and be more focused on not losing this game than winning this game. Um, and then just as a more general point. This isn't the only time where those incentives exist. They often exist. A lot of teams will be like, okay, as long as we don't lose too many points in this game, we can trust ourselves to beat up on the lower sides better than everyone else can, um, especially when you have these really good teams. that um, City and Liverpool haven't been quite on that level before, but that was definitely... Um, they've been quite on the level they have been before, but that's definitely a thing that they could rely on. Like As long as we don't get in a hole, we, we're good enough to just beat up everyone else. Um, so there's there's always lots of incentives in these big games for both teams to play more not to lose than to win. Um, and then as far as the no fans, it just it's kind of like if, especially this, since uh, Liverpool and United is a rivalry, um, not only is it a big game where you get the fans excited for that, but it's also a rivalry game. You usually at least have the atmosphere and it's cool and they get all those cool aspects to it. Um, so it's kind of like that can sometimes make up for the um, less exciting football. But when you don't have that, it's just the less exciting football. And yeah, it just kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah, I certainly agree. I was talking with a friend about it and, and we discussed it being uh, friendlies with consequences um, as what the Premier League kind of feels like right now, where like on the pitch, a lot of times it doesn't feel like it matters. The thing that matters is when it's over, where have you moved to in the table? There's always an element of that. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like it's even more so at the moment. And, you know, part of that could be, uh, as a Tottenham fan, a lot of our matches have looked like the match, uh, earlier today between, uh, Liverpool and Manchester United, um, defending and then trying to counter. But, uh, yeah, I, I definitely feel like something's missing, not advocating for everybody to be back in stands right now as, as COVID rates swell globally, but yeah, it, it did feel like it had that, that little extra punch to it that maybe the fans could have lent to it even though the play wasn't there. Would you agree, Jim? Yeah, I think the game suffers immeasurably without fans, obviously, but especially for games like this, where it's a, an intense rivalry, you know, typically one of the fiercest games um, in the Premier League kind of um, season. Um, it's got a history of kind of firing encounters and obviously big a, a big rivalry has developed between those two teams. But I think that just kind of takes away some of the, like, not incentive, but maybe it just doesn't add that passion and that that kind of extra impetus to players to kind of go that extra mile. So it does allow them to play at kind of 70%, whereas you, you're not able to do that once you, you're going to get told about it if you've got a, 
a stadium full of 60,000 fans, um, especially as like an away player, for example, you know, every mistake is going to be seized upon by the fans and quite often home home fans will urge their team forward. And obviously that potentially adds into the atmosphere. Um, it's just, a, yeah, it just feels very sterile at the moment. It also doesn't help that the media, I mean, particularly, I can only speak to the, the British media, but I'm sure maybe it's the same in the States, maybe to a slightly lesser extent, given that football isn't as kind of widely renowned as the leading sport um, for, for American audiences. But particularly in the UK, Sky Sports do a, a big job and, and BT Sport do a huge job of like promoting these games as like a almost like a heavyweight prize fight ultimately like they will bill it for weeks on end um you'll be sick to the back teeth of seeing the trailers um and the promos in, in anticipation of this game and then it just makes it even seem even more ridiculous when it just falls flat and it's a nil nil um or you know it's a completely dull flat game so i think that goes into it as well that there's a higher audience for these games because of the the fan bases, but also the neutrals. If you're going to tune into one game this weekend, probably as a neutral, it's going to be Manchester United's trip to Liverpool. So I think it's a higher audience, which means that it's kind of amplified when it's a terrible game. Whereas if it's Burnley against Sheffield United that ends up 0-0 at 12.30 on a Saturday afternoon, there's going to be fewer people watching that. There's less noise about it online. And it's kind of like, all right, it might be a bit more expected from those teams, but also there's less to shout about, which means that it doesn't kind of get amplified as much um, as it would be in a game like this. Yeah, the fanfare around it also certainly has an effect on how we feel about it. As you say, like mm. if Burnley and Sheffield United draw nil nil, no one cares. Uh, it just it's whatever it happens. Um, whereas with something as you say that's hyped up for as long as it is, and with what's supposed to be the absolute cream of the crop facing each other. If that flops into a nil-nil, then it's, yeah, as you said, the expectations are much higher and there's more eyes on it. So it's naturally going to feel like a bigger deal than if any other game ends nil-nil. Yeah, I think that's very well said. Um, Next, we'll talk about the fact that we're almost at the halfway point of the season. Most teams, especially near the top of the table, have played uh, 18 by now. So just the one week away from that midway point. Uh, but a lot of things are still undecided. Arguably, the only thing that is decided is that Sheffield United are going down. And even they could technically find their 40, or I guess the, the numbers are more like 36-ish these days, uh, to be able to to sneak safety. Uh, are you guys excited by how close things are basically throughout the entire table at the moment? I think if there's one, um, not advantage, but I'd say one positive to this season, obviously being without fans, um, and lacking the intensity, it's that I think you'll probably see a winning points total that's more akin to maybe when Leicester won the league rather than the most recent seasons where we've seen a team need, in Liverpool's case, they, you know, when they lost to Manchester City the season before last, they were almost flawless for an entire second half of the season. I think they got 90, high 90s, like 99 points or something, still mm. not. Um, and came second like that that level of intensity and that level of consistent performance isn't going to be required to win the league this year if a team gets maybe low 80s they're probably going to be in with a good chance um, you know looking at the, the table now as you say Kev we're, we're one game week away from most teams um, having played 19 and Manchester United are top with 37 so in that case you would extrapolate that yeah teams might get slightly better in the second half of the season a bit more consistency perhaps like slower start after such a, a rushed preparation compared to normal, but 
yeah, 80, 80 points is, is a pretty low watermark for um, for winning the league in recent times anyway. Um, so it, it, what it does mean potentially is that although those big six games might be terrible, um, as we've, we've just spoken about, what it might mean is that the season as a whole is more exciting as a spectacle, obviously not without fans. It's, it's not as good to watch even on TV. But the actual kind of title race itself could be, you know, you, you could conceivably have a three or four team title race going into the final five or six weeks of the season, which isn't something I can certainly remember where you had three or four teams legitimately in with a chance where, you know, one result could really swing it one way and um, you're going to really be kind of interested in, in what's going on across the fixture list. Whereas by the 30 game mark, sometimes teams are basically safe, mid-table, happy, and there'll be some teams like that this year, of course, but there'll be more on the line for more teams, I think, this year. As you said, Sheffield United are pretty much down. It would be absolutely miraculous now for them to get close to what they need um, to stay up. I, I was listening to a radio pundit is there. I can't remember who it was, but they were saying that they would need to take above the average of their points from last season across this next part of the season to stay up. Mm. So they would need to play better than they did for the entirety of last season. Unlikely. On the cusp of like <laughs> European contention, yeah, which, as you say, seems unlikely. Um, but yeah, even the relegation battle, that's normally the last thing to be decided, obviously, um, because it, normally it's two or three teams that are still in with a chance going into the, even if it's a slim chance. So if there is one, you know, unfortunate positive out of this, it might be that the the table is a lot closer for a lot longer, which in theory should make it better for a neutral audience, especially in the UK, because they've now agreed that a lot of the games, well, all the games bar a weird kind of, five or six weeks with pay-per-view matches where a lot of them will be included and in the, the broadcast at different times. So although you might have two games at three o'clock on a Saturday, it's not the normal four or five, which means that there's more um, games on TV in, in a time slot. You know, you could conceivably have watched nine games this match day, um, you know, 10 if you want to dual screen the three o'clocks. But that hopefully will mean that if it, if it chimes in with the, the title race going down to the wire between one, or two kind of teams in with a, with a chance more nor than normal, it could be a real spectacle across those last five or six weeks of the season. You know, if you could imagine, you know, the top four as they are now, for example, Manchester United, Leicester, Liverpool and Tottenham all being within, I don't know, six points of each other going into the final four or five games. Like that is going to be an incredible spectacle, if not for, you know, fans not standing, but it's going to be a brilliant kind of run in to at least kind of keep, audience is interested because I don't think we're going to be in a position to have fans back in stadiums before the end of the season, certainly not full stadiums anyway. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a very interesting season because you have the two Titans who have been making the title races not really, well, two horse races at best, um, really take a step back this year. Uh, Liverpool, I think some of it is probably... Uh, the intensity of the way they've played over the last couple of years may have gotten him. And then more obviously all the injuries have just killed him. Uh, losing Van Dyke for all that time, losing again, like I said earlier, they're really playing two midfielders at center backs right now um, in a massive game. So that has hurt them. I mean, city kind of, they really struggled out the gate and Pep seemed to be changing this, their style of play and that there were some growing pains there, which meant they didn't get off to, a great start and now they are actually in 
a pretty good position to win the league right now, despite they're technically in fifth, but they have some games in hand. Um, if they win them, then they go to first. Yeah, their um, match hasn't they, completed yet, but yeah, they, they could be second by the end of today. Yeah, and they have, still have a game in hand. So they're actually in quite a good position to win the title, but even if they do win it, I would be shocked if it's going to be you know a runaway. Um, just because they haven't already, they not only have not created a gap, they're literally not first right now. Um, so, but those, that like extra level is just gone. So now it's more lots of good teams instead of great teams competing for the title, uh, which is, I'd say more interesting. Um, really the only time where you, the two great teams, when the, the year uh, Jim was talking about where City and Liverpool were within like two points of each other. That was fantastic. But you re- very rarely get those when there are teams that are that good. It's usually one of them runs away with it. Um, closer to the last year of Liverpool. Uh, so when you when you don't have those absolute top tier elite teams, it can be more interesting for the title race for the league season. Um, and I think we're seeing that. Uh, then also just uh, normally bigger teams have more of an advantage over the winter break than the smaller teams. But I think some of that was kind of taken away because they were so exhausted with all the um, all the fixtures that they had mm. to play in such a short span of time. Um, I, I want to say someone actually looked into these numbers and that that bigger teams were more outperforming smaller teams by less than normal. But uh, don't quote me on that. Um I think that's that's also an effect. That's often a time where you'd see the bigger teams kind of separate themselves from the pack. That has not happened, and it's not going to happen. Um, so it's definitely more interesting, I would say. And as far as the reasons, I think there's many. Some of it absolutely has to do with the pandemic, um, and then some of it is just the fact that City and Liverpool weren't aren't what they were. Yeah, I definitely think that that has something to do with it. And and I think I've seen that mathematically it's already impossible for anyone to get anywhere near that 100-point mark uh, that, that City got and, and then Liverpool fell just short of last year. So uh, not so much on that regard. But yeah, it's certainly an exciting year. I'd imagine, Jim, as a Leicester fan, you're kind of looking at this year, as you said, like uh, the last time you won a title of, ooh, 80, 85 points maybe? <laughs> maybe that'll maybe that'll do it. But yeah, it's it's certainly more exciting to watch the table week by week. But like I said before, some of the matches, um, maybe not the most exciting. And, and I, I'd have to also say that as Tottenham fans, uh, collectively, we feel so hard done by by all of these late draws. But the fact that we're still sat in the top four at time of recording just shows how much bad luck everyone else has had. And if you go look at like expected goals, uh, goals allowed and expected results, uh, Tottenham have been unlucky. But everyone else has been so unlucky that we actually would be lower in the table <laughs> if, if expected points uh, all of a sudden became true. So, yeah, I feel like a lot of the big clubs feel very unlucky right now. And it will be curious to see who turns that around first. It, it seems like Manchester United were the ones that did it the most recently, which is saw them push all the way up to the top of the table. Maybe Chelsea the most aggrieved who dropped uh, all the way down to like ninth or 10th after having been considered title contenders not a month earlier. So obviously Tottenham dropping down from from first as well. So yeah, it's, it's going to be a crazy year. And all those European spots, it's not even worth talking about who's going to get like Europa League spots. There are like eight teams <laughs> that could all either come up or drop down to get in those places. So uh, I do think it's, it's going to be a really close and exciting time. And, and hopefully... Uh, once fans start getting back, then then we'll really feel it all the more, though, as Jim says. Wouldn't bet on it at present by the end of this season. 
I don't know if this is reassuring or frustrating for Chelsea fans. They're actually third in expected goal difference, whereas uh, Manchester United find themselves seventh. So <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know if that's going to make them really happy because there's hope, or really angry because they're not in a better position. But that's that's something. <laughs> or it'll make them both sad that they just hired club legends as their managers. Although I doubt many Manchester United fans will be complaining at the moment. Another thing I wanted to talk to you guys about today was the air quotes death of the number 10 position. Obviously, this is not a new thing. This is a conversation that's been going on for years as, uh, you know, Otzel declined or Isco declined at Real Madrid. Um, and, and some saying that this just isn't a position that's needed anymore. More teams playing with a front three, more teams trying to play more wide, or at least that attacking midfielder being asked to do more. Um, but currently in the Premier League, four of the top five players in chances created, Bruno Fernandes, Jack Grealish, Kevin De Bruyne, and James Rodriguez, are all attacking midfielders. So I'm curious if you guys think that this is evidence that there's still a place for this role in modern tactics, or if this is just a mild upward blip in a generally downward-facing trend? Yeah, I think it's. I think there's still definitely a place for it. Um, maybe it's because I'm I'm slightly kind of biased towards watching Leicester, who put a lot of um, stock into that particular position with our mm. current crop of players. So and have one of the better Patton ones. Is, is, yeah, I mean, he he's not been at his sparkling best this year, but we know, you know, if you gave us an injury-free James Madison for an entire season, I think he would be up there with chances created. Um, with almost anyone else in the league, with the way that we play um, and what goes through him. So it would help if he could beat the first man at a corner, but that's something else um, that, that gets my goat that's not, not kind of related to this. But in, in terms of his natural position, he, he is one of those players that is able to contribute um, goals and assists um, and, and kind of encapsulates the, the modern number 10, I guess, um, that you described, Kev. I think... It, it comes in waves because it kind of depends what what formation is in fashion at any given point because I think players tend to mould themselves around that stylistically kind of what's going on and some teams will be more fluid as well which potentially doesn't help one player stand out on a stat sheet. So if you have a more fixed formation like Leicester's, for example, um, you'll find Madison in that position more often than not. Therefore, he's probably got more opportunities to, to create and to contribute, probably similar to James Rodriguez as well at Everton, um, maybe a little bit more fixed under Carlo Ancelotti than someone like um, Manchester City, where there's a lot more fluid attacking um, kind of rotation for what of a better phrase is you know players slot in and out and we've seen it a lot with United who tend to play the the kind of 4-2-3-1 with Bruno Fernandes but then you, you'll sometimes find him out on the wing and then Marcus Rashford and someone like Anthony Martial might start uh, in that three behind the central striker but then they'll rotate and change as well and I guess it's just kind of sharing the wealth across multiple players at that point which might statistically impact one player getting a lot of the um the the assists and the goals from a, a stats point of view. So I, I certainly think there's a still a big part to play for a player like that and um, of that mould. But I do think it, it could be seen to be on the decline if the formation in fashion at any given point, you know, ever goes back to like not that it ever will. But if it was ever a four four two, you know, textbook four four two like it used to be way back when or when. Leicester played it not that long ago. Um, quite a conventional four-four-two. It is going to marginalise your ability to get a, a number ten that contributes goals and assists so consistently because that that formation just isn't conducive to it. But I think you'll see it kind of peak and trough 
alongside whatever the kind of in vogue formation is essentially. Yeah, there's absolutely still a place for it. Um, football, like pretty much everything, is very cyclical. You know, things will fade in in fashion, out of fashion. Uh, it's very rare that positions straight up die. Um, so, and then of the players you named, Hamas is probably the closest to um, those tens that you mentioned uh, with Ozil and Eriksson and Nisko, where he's really a pure ten. The others are different, like De Bruyne. Uh, he's now, back, I think he's now back in the 10 position for City, but he was playing as an eight for a couple of years uh, in Manchester. And was briefly uh, he, a striker this year. <laughs> yeah, he's clearly show, and he's a much better defensive player than, um, you know, the quote unquote traditional number 10. Uh, he can really uh, help on that end. Uh, Grealish is close. I see it closer to an Eden Hazard than a uh, Mesut Ozil. Mm. And the fact that he can play wide, that kind of helps fit him in. Um, because with a 10, you really do need to play four attackers, whereas if you can move that player out wide and they're still just effective, you can get away with it with only three. Or even if you want to have that guy as a fourth attacker, he can be a bit more defensive. Yeah, and Everton uh, have done that with Hamas this year as well. Yeah, yep. Um, and Fernandez is... he He's more closer to Bruyne, where he is more of a 10, but he can do more defensive work. So the luxury and the, down, the downside of that kind of player is lessened when they are better off ball um so as far as position as a whole i it, i'm sure it'll come back um whether those players look exactly the same probably not they're probably going to adjust in in ways like these players uh for example have yeah jim you already touched on uh madison who obviously is as i mentioned one of the better attacking midfielders in the premier league even you know given his very young age um on the other hand dan you were known for having really traditional number 10s that were were just simply fantastic and then you bring in Danny Ceballos in theory to play that role but that role doesn't really seem to exist uh under Arteta uh, is that that something that you think Arsenal fans would like to see again or or are we just sticking with uh these Arteta stylings for for both the short and long term uh, well, we actually just moved back to a 4 one um with when Emil Smith-Rowe came into the side uh, oh. against Chelsea back in late December um, so it, that seems to be what we're going with. Uh, and Ceballos is not a 10. He's an eight. Uh, he's, he, he would be very much wasted at number 10. That was really the problem is with, um, Mesodoso frozen out of the side. We didn't really have anyone to play that role, uh, until Arteta gave Smith a chance. And even, even, it's not even all about giving him a chance. He's been hurt for a lot of the season. Um, so we really, we really had no one with, uh, the ability to play there, knowing that Ozil was not going to play for, you know, outside reasons. Um, so now, now it looks like we are going to stick with that for you know, how, however long, however long we do. Um, hopefully we can keep getting a few good results. Cause that is once we switched to, to, um, four, two, three, one again, that was when we started winning games, whether that's correlation or cause or correlation with or without causation, I guess we'll find out. Um, <laughs> so I, I do think, um, we do look better, mostly just because having someone who can play that position has just sped us up in attack so much. Um, and then getting a fourth attacker on the pitch has made us much more dangerous, um, a lot more combination play than in previous weeks. So um, I'd say, however really you believe this Arsenal quote-unquote turnaround to be, um, if you think it's real, it's a pretty good um, advertisement for number 10s. Yeah, we'll certainly see if we get a resurgence soon i loved watching that role in particular especially the uh von der Vaart to brief sigurdsson to erickson run that we had at tottenham 
Um, but yeah, it certainly requires a lot more effort from the other players behind them. As you say, Dan, it, it means you're already playing with more attacking players um, and then just kind of trusting that everybody behind them can do their job well enough that the goals that that front four end up scoring uh, really, you know, make it count and, and are able to secure results by by scoring goals. So I very much like that role. Would love for it to stick around. This is now my uh, propaganda channel for <laughs> for frigging back and reviving uh, the true number 10 position. Uh, all right, we'll take a quick break and then we'll be back with club-specific questions for each of our guests. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. All right, and we are back. Jim, we'll start off with you talking about Leicester. Not a bad time to be a Leicester fan right now. Currently second in the table, though they could be uh, dethroned there in second by Manchester City, depending on their result, which is yet to be known as we record. Um, but the good news is that you are getting a lot of your injured players back. The only big notable one currently uh, is Dennis Prate, which obviously... Uh, Rogers mentioned midweek is a very big blow for you guys, but I assume if you had to trade all the players that were out for him, you'd probably do it. With all those players returning, you already in second. We mentioned the likely low total required to win the title this year. Are, are Leicester fans starting to get that feeling again? Yeah, I mean, it, it feels like it at the moment, but I don't know how much of that is going to be derailed by um, the Europa League after... Um, that resumes because I do think that will have a significant impact on not just Leicester but those top teams who are um, geared up to compete on multiple fronts um, that involve a lot of travel which I think will really kind of benefit you might see teams like Southampton for example um, and my pre-season kind of prediction was that Wolves would really benefit because I thought they were really well placed to, to kick on again um, obviously that was before the Raul Jimenez injury Um but a team like Southampton that don't have European football to worry about um, could potentially kind of see themselves really have a nice uptick in the second half of the season, even after having a good, good solid first half as well. Um, but yes, yeah, on the Leicester front, I think it's tricky because you you want to see parallels with that that crazy season where everyone else seemingly underperformed and Leicester were just sticking around there. Um, but I think certainly the style of football that we play now is is better on the eye. Um, but also, you know, maybe does leave us a little bit more um, exposed to certain styles of play. So previously, you know, back back in 2016, we would be sitting back um, and waiting for teams to, to come on to us and, and playing on the counter, whereas now we're, we're trying to press and be on the front foot a bit more, uh, which makes you more susceptible, ironically, to teams that do want to sit back um, and then hit you on the counter, which I think, you know, I, I don't know how much you can read into home and away form split this year, 
given there's no fans, I think it's a, a huge leveller. But um, our our home form has been pretty poor um, compared to our away form. So maybe there's something in that. But yeah, I wouldn't say... I'm just pleased that we're up there again, basically, because I think last season, a lot of people thought it was another like weird freak year where Leicester were really in the mix for top four, Champions League place. Um, and I think this year we've demonstrated, at least so far, that maybe there is some merit to Leicester being included in that kind of big six conversation. Obviously, it's not the big six. If you include Leicester, it would be seven, assuming you don't drop someone out. But I think we're now able to consistently compete at a level with those teams, which is a huge step forward for me like as the club as a whole. Um, I think it shows the kind of foundations that were built upon with that title winning season and the work that's gone in behind the scenes. Um, the new training ground that's just opened, which looks absolutely incredible, um, that will hopefully kind of safeguard the future of the club going forward and our ability to kind of kick on there. I, yeah, so I'm not going to turn down another title, so obviously um, I can just kind of see it maybe not petering out, but I think it, we will fall a little bit short um, in the, the last third of the season if we were to take a deep run at the Europa League. But if we do that, it's kind of like, you know, it, it, it checks and balances, right? If we go deep in the Europa League, we've probably got a good shot of Champions League qualification by that route as well. So it's an exciting time to be a Leicester fan, definitely. Yeah, well, uh, I'd say good luck, but if we still have a shot, then maybe not. Um. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's going to be at Tottenham's potential downfall, isn't it? If um, if one of us fails to, to, to get in there. So yeah, yeah. I can see that coming down to the wire again. <laughs> Although I, I can't imagine Jose Mourinho saying that you have our title the way Potch just full-throatedly did, uh, which continues to be one of the more bizarre things that I've heard. Um, I also wanted to talk about uh, Yuri T. Elements for a bit. So obviously he was a player that was highly coveted. You brought him in on loan, managed to sign him. Still a young player, has had his ups and downs at Leicester right now. It's, start, it's feeling like he's really starting to figure out uh, how to play with you best and for you to get the best out of him. Just how high do you think he can go and how have you felt about his performances on the whole this year? Year has been a really weird one because I, I think it's rare that we were as stoked as a fan base about many signings in the past um, because of the fact, as you say, Kev, we had him on loan um, for, I think, six months, like the last half of the season in, in 2019, so kind of like summer. Um, or winter into summer 2019. Um, we had him on loan from Monaco. And he looked absolutely superb. I think he was only 21 at that point. Obviously, he had fallen out of favour at Monaco, which were they've always been a basket case, basket case club recently anyway, um, and had fallen out of favour there. So kind of was looking for a move. We managed to bring him in, which was great. And then the talk was that we might be able to bring him in permanently. And there was a set fee, I think, of like 45 million euros or something that was... Um, being banded around, which I thought was very, very reasonable because it, it, we were in a, like a try before you buy situation. We'd had six months of him um, playing and showing us what he could do. So it seemed like a sure thing to spend that amount of money on someone that you know yeah, would already fit in well with the team and um, already knows the, the players and knows the club and the league, and et cetera, et cetera. So I was really, really stoked about bringing him in because I think because he was so highly coveted, it also showed Leicester's like, ability to compete in the transfer market as well um, against, I'm sure, more established, more elite clubs that were um, in, in the market for someone like that. So he, he came in and I think it's fair to say like the first maybe six months of, of his kind of permanent transfer with Leicester were a little bit disappointing. I think that was partly because the expectation was so high. Um, and I think maybe, you know, it's just, maybe it was just kind of, 
one of those things where it became permanent. He didn't quite find the start that he wanted this season. Um, his performances were quite um, hit and miss, which I think people forget. Like he was 21, 22. Like he, he's still a really, really young developing player. And there's players that are going to need more time than others to, to find their feet. And I think, I think more than anything, he seems like a real confidence player which is great when he's on form and on song. And I think that's what we saw in that loan spell. And I think that's what we're seeing now. But there's, there'll be periods in between where his head goes down a little bit and it can be kind of difficult to to bring him out of that funk, which is, is quite frustrating to watch because you know what he's really capable of. Um, and yeah, I'm just, I'm delighted he's finding his stride a little bit. Um, he seems to have really made that number eight position his own, kind of talking about textbook numbers in, in football formation terms. Like he is our number eight so if, if he starts normally you know alongside Wilfred and Didi or someone like that in the, the centre of midfield he's I think playing alongside Wilf gives him so much license to go forward and be creative which is what he wants to do and what he does best like he can he can defend he's not the best tackler in the world he picks up a yellow card every now and again uh, which can be frustrating but it, you know that's the job you work you, you're in the engine room of the team at that stage Um so yeah, he's he's an amazing talent, and for a kid that's 23 years old, like he could, he's got the world at his feet, and he's another one of those players that in three or four years' time we could be looking back on him and saying, well, you know, wasn't it amazing that he even played for a club like Leicester for a few years, um, given what what he could go on to do? And obviously, he's one of the crop of these uber talented Belgians that just seemingly keep churning out um, world class players um, at will, which is incredible when you think about their national team credentials. Um, but yeah, he, he seems to have really taken to that number eight role well under Brendan Rodgers. Um, I think Clems alongside indeed he really helps because it gives him the licence uh, to go forward. And obviously having a more settled attack like Ndidi, um protecting, but also then Vardy going forward and like Harvey Barnes kicking on has really helped him as well. It gives him that consistent outlet to look for on the wing. Um, and I think it, it gives him another way to contribute in the final third. You know, he scores quite a lot himself, but he's also quite good for an assist. Now, again, his his vision is incredible, his range of passing, which is just his textbook. That's what you want from your number eight. You want someone to be able to create from deep. Um, and some of the through balls that he's been able to put through this year have just been insane. So I'm really, really enjoying kind of him find that upward swing again because you don't want a player like that to have their head down for too long. And I suppose there's a, there's a danger a bit like we've seen with some Manchester United signings in the medium term, where someone like Angel Di Maria seems to have their head drop and then just never never is able to bounce back from that. You don't necessarily get the time and the opportunity to turn that poor vein of form around, whereas Yuri seems to have come through the other side of that slump and really, really kicked on, which is amazing to see. I love watching him. He's such a kind of energetic, creative player and it just kind of makes you appreciate everything that he does in a new light when you see it and it's really going well so yeah he's fantastic i absolutely adore watching him yeah absolutely a delightful footballer and, and then i just wanted to ask last time we had you on we were talking about how the wingback situation was going to play out um <laughs> as you were dealing with injuries of course and now everybody's <laughs> back so is there any more clarity on who's going to be playing where or is it still just a toss-up it's, it's a nightmare because I think the last time we spoke about it, we spoke about potentially pushing um, Pereira into midfield because of the fact that he offers more as an attacking outlet um, and kind of pairing him up on that side. So I, I think that might still be the option because at the moment, Mark Albright in off 
occupies one of the wings, which is good in the sense that he's a workhorse. He'll get up and down the field, but he's not a spring chicken. He's getting on in age now, Mark. He's, he's into his 30s. So maybe Ricardo Pereira coming back to form uh, or coming back to fitness, should I say, potentially offers that opportunity um, because the, the, it's not a problem. It's a good problem to have. But James Justin has been unreal the last, Two three months, like he he had a he had a slightly ropey back end of last season because he was playing a lot more than I think we expected him to when we brought him in from Luton, um, and then because of Pereira's injury, he was forced to cover in that position. Obviously, we brought Castagna in in the summer, who's missed a portion of this season due to injury, which isn't ideal. But now that everyone's back fit again, I I don't envy Brendan Rodgers from a selection perspective because he's got to try and accommodate all these players um, and get the best out of them. So potentially we could see Pereira pushed into that wing-back kind of wide um, position, but it, it would be really, really harsh on on Justin if he if he was dethroned from that place. So it's, yeah, it, it's not easy to see how that's going to go. Um, maybe the fact that the European football comes back soon will be a saving grace in that sense, like from a rotational point of view. Also with Ricardo, you don't want to rush him back after such a long-term injury either, I guess. Um, so it might well be, it's, I don't know, what are we now, mid-January? It could be like mid-February before he's consistently able to put 90 minutes in again at that intensity. So it might allow Rogers a little bit of experimentation time to see how, how things go. And obviously the domestic cups as well um, might offer him an opportunity to rotate there and keep everyone happy. But when all three of those players are fit, it's going to be really, really hard because I can't see him wanting to go back to a flat back three to accommodate one of them as like a third centre back. It's just, it's just not worth changing the entire shape of the team for that. So yeah, it's going to be fun, that's for sure. <laughs> well, the next time you're on, hopefully you'll have more definitive uh, knowledge of who's wound up where. And hopefully for your sake, you're still around this place in the table. For my sake, eh, maybe less. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Going to you now, Dan, to talk about Arsenal. It's been a bit since we've had you on, but things turning around under Arteta of lately. Won four of your last five matches in all comps, undefeated, with that that one non-win being the draw with Palace. I uh, was just curious. You mentioned earlier that there had been a tactical shift. Emile Smith-Rowe looks really good. Um, anything else that's kind of gone into the pot there to to make this delicious stew of recent success? Uh, well, we've given uh, younger players a chance to play a bit more. Um, so what the, what the attack's been, it's been Bukayo Saka to right wing. Um, Emil Spithrow came in at 10. And uh, the left wing position has been filled by either Martinelli or Bamiang. Um, Martinelli got hurt in uh, the FA Cup game. And he should be back for the Newcastle game tomorrow. So it'll be very interesting who starts on the left-hand side, actually, whether it's him or Aubameyang. Um I would personally start Martinelli just because for our for all the turnarounds, um, it looks more like some results are just going away more than we've turned a total corner. And even if we had turned a corner, um, we'd still be we're still a ways off the pace for what I see as a meaningful finish, like top four. Um, so therefore, I think this season is more about if we can develop young players like Martinelli, who um, a lot of fans have a lot of hope for him. Um, there's some serious potential there if we can coax that out of him uh, this season and have him hit another level for next season. That'd be huge. Um, so I would start him at left wing over Aubameyang uh, just for the age sake um, and potential sake. Uh, then we've uh, it's a four-two-three-one now, so our midfields are similar, but the fact that they're so conservative is less of an issue now. We have Smith Rowe. Um, 
in at the 10, just an extra attacker in there. Um, the fact that those guys aren't going to provide that much of a final third is less of an issue. Um, Kieran Tierney has moved to left back instead of that uh, weird little left center back slash left wing back role he was playing when we were playing three at the back. Um, and that is a lot of changes, but I think that's all of them. Yeah, it's obviously working for you at the moment. And I do really like uh, Martinelli, despite who he plays for. Um, and hopefully these little injuries that he keeps picking up won't won't derail him too much as a player uh, who is clearly on a pretty fast development path towards success. Um, another question I wanted to talk to you about was chances created, tying into the conversation we were having uh, in the opening. So you're currently 14th in chances created. We talked about how you weren't really using a traditional 10. I assume that that doesn't strike Arsenal fans particularly well. Do you feel like these changes will help turn that kind of number around to get back to more typically on-brand Arsenal football? Or are people coming to terms with maybe a more defensive style there? I think it'll help. But, you know, when we're 14th, there's only so much. Like, it'll it, improvement isn't ne- not necessarily getting us back to where, like, you know, what, what you think of when you think of an Arsenal team. Um, so I... Like just having an extra attacker is it should make us more attacking. That's you know how you think that would work. Um, and just having more, and even having Bakayo Saka further up the pitch, he's probably our best player at this point. Um, yeah, it's either him or Lacazette. Him, him and Lacazette have been uh, far clear in terms of attacking players um, than on everyone else. Um, so just pushing him further up the pitch should help as well. Um, Martinelli could help. He's very good at getting shots, which, you know, that is important, uh, in being a good attacking side. Uh, so there, there are definitely some changes where I could see us improving. Um, probably not to the levels we want to be immediately, but I'll take improvement, uh, considering how, uh, bad it's been. Gotcha. Yeah. It, it, uh, was not attacking football there for some time. Um, nope. has, <laughs> has the perception on Arteta switched back to good? Cause there was a stretch there where even on the show, we were talking about how much more patience the board was going to have with him. Obviously it's paid off with this turn turnaround of recent results. Uh, I think it depends on who you ask because more people who are more in tune with the underlying numbers are still pretty skeptical of him, myself included. Um, people who more just kind of fly by uh, the results are hoping this is a real turnaround. Um, and while I guess it's possible, um, I don't think there's that much to suggest that he's, you know, uh, seen the light and became gone from what I mean has to be described as a subpar manager to, you know, a good one. Uh, I don't really know if that's happened. I, I'd suggest, I'd guess it hasn't. Um, but I would also guess that there are plenty of people who think um, that maybe he has. So perception wise depends on who you talk to. Um, there def- I, I've definitely seen some people be like, Oh, maybe he actually, he's, he's found everything's clicked. He's, he's good now. Um, I'm not really in that, uh, in that party, but mm. some people are. Gotcha. Would you want to see him heavily backed in any of the upcoming windows, or are you more in the like wait and see train? Yeah, I'm more in the wait and see train. Um, it's it's weirder evaluating him because this is his first job, but we have uh, I think 35 league games under him so far, um, which I mean, it's nearly a full season, and uh, the results have obviously not been good, and the underlying numbers have been worse. I think we're about a uh, minus five. Um, expected goals in that mm. period, which um, is quite bad, or not at all where we want to be. 
Um, and uh, if the idea that managers like have some uh, just kind of change a lot after a year isn't it doesn't actually happen that often. A lot of people will point to Klopp of Liverpool, but if you actually look at their numbers, they turned it around pretty quickly. Um, and even like that first half season he was there, um, they got to a, the Euro, Europe League final. I believe they may have also got to the League Cup final as well. Um, and they, they actually did turn it around pretty quickly. Um, Pep, while his first season didn't go quite as planned, I think they were still, by underlying numbers, the best team in the league that season. Uh, they just had the worst goalkeeper, one of the worst goalkeepers in recent memory between the sticks. Um, so a lot of, obviously I'm going with incredibly high-level examples there, but um, those are two that are often trotted out like, oh, you know, mm. these these coaches, it, did, it took them a year, then they got their feet. That's not, enti- not I would not say that's really what happened. Um so I am not in t- that optimistic that he'll, you know, go from being a minus XG manager to a top four level one that just, at least not with us, maybe in, you know, maybe another club, maybe in a few, uh, after he gets more experience at the jobs. I, I'm not ruling that out. I think he can manage, um, like, say what you want. There's a very clear way Arsenal play. Um, he is definitely, what they do is intentional. Um, they he's got the team to execute a very specific plan. That plan is just bad, um, or at least it had been. Until, <laughs> uh, we're reevaluating the plan now, now that it's shifted a lot. But like, there there's very clear tactical things that he has implemented in the team, and he's clearly able to coach that. Um, he just has had a pretty bad plan or an ineffective plan, um, at his time at Arsenal. So I think I'm not even foreclosing on him as a manager in the future, but I don't think it's going to work here. Um, gotcha. And you'd rather I'm, not lay point, out all that cash to someone yeah, that you don't think is going to be around Especially, long. yeah. And a, a lot of uh, obviously we can only know so much. But a lot of the rumors was that he was pretty influential behind the Williams signing, which is was really stupid at the time. It's looking even worse than it did then. Um, that's so. That's not exactly you know a good point in his favor. Um, just kind of another reason to be why I'm a bit more hesitant to um, back him extensively. Mm, gotcha. All right, well, now we'll head into Player Watch, where we're going to talk about the players at our clubs that we think are most likely to depart this January. Jim, we'll start off with you. Hopefully no one. Um, I don't think Mm. there's... I think it's difficult with Leicester because to predict a player leaving because we've got a history of digging our heels in over big signings. And I think the only kind of players that we would be willing to lose would be the kind of fringe players. So... I guess the, the, the correct answer from that perspective is someone like Damari Gray, who could be moving on to pastures new after, I think, five or so years, five and a half years, um, of not really kind of kicking on and being the player that we thought he would be. Um, it wouldn't be a shock to me to see him um, go and find a new club, either on loan or um, permanently. He, he's just not shown what we were expecting. And he's not he's getting nowhere near the team at the moment. Um, I think he, he's been playing for the under-23s at times this last kind of couple of months. Um, and he kind of really suffers now that we've got um, Harvey Barnes in a rich frame of form, but also Iose Perez as well. Um, in, in the style and the, the situation and the formation that we play, he's finding it really difficult to get a, a place on the bench, let alone kicking on to um, actually seeing any minutes on the pitch. So I think he's probably the most likely to leave the rest Again, it would be fringe players if anyone came in, but 
I highly doubt we'll see any kind of central players. I think that'll be a theme for this transfer window as a whole, to be fair, not to kind of down-talk it um, as a, a spectacle. But I just don't see big deals happening in this COVID era of vastly reduced revenues um, due to no revenue from, from match day um, situations, especially for bigger clubs who, who make a significant proportion of their revenue from uh, matches. And... You know the, the uncertainty around finances in the future as well. Like I just can't see clubs laying out tens of millions of pounds on big players um, in the in the January transfer window. So hopefully, Leicester dig their heels in if, if there is any interest over people like Madison, for example. Um, but yeah, I, I can't see anyone else big leaving in touch wood. Like hopefully that that's not going to come back to bite me. But I just can't see it as a whole for the Premier League this year. I think it'll be a very very quiet window with a few loans here and there and maybe the odd player from the championship being snapped up by a Premier League club where they offer money that the championship club can't turn down. But I can't, I can't really see many big, uh, big money kind of blockbuster moves like we occasionally get from time to time. Yeah. And hopefully Tottenham don't try to buy Damari Gray for <laughs> no reason. <laughs> yeah. But... I think he's, he's probably um, above and beyond where, where you guys would be looking at the moment. I think it's looking more and more likely to me anyway that he would get a move to a, a championship club. Um, yeah, it'd be a really good move for him though. Yeah, potentially. I think he he just needs minutes. Again, he's like a he's a really, really like um he's a real, real confidence player, like similar to what we spoke about with Telemans, but even more so. So the fact that he's sidelined for a significant proportion of the season, like he just doesn't look interested when he comes on. Um and that's really, really difficult because it's a bad, bad aesthetic for him, and it also means he doesn't play very well. So it's tricky. I could, I could see him going. I, I know Bournemouth were interested under Eddie Howe a while back, but a team like that um, could potentially take him on loan if they couldn't stump up the cash for him and give him an opportunity to to get some minutes under his belt because that's what he needs. He needs playing time, and he's not going to get it at Leicester, um, not without a kind of injury crisis, meaning that he's the last available wide option at the moment. Gotcha. All right, and then Dan, a pretty uh, high-profile name departing Arsenal immediately. Anybody else going to be joining him? Uh, yeah, as you imply, there, Mithril is the clear one, probably the only one who's clearly going to leave. Um, I think as, we, as we've been recording, he and Fenerbahce both tweeted out uh, confirmations. Uh, not sure all the I's have been dotted and T's have been crossed, but it's clearly going to happen. Um, outside of that, uh, there are some rumors, but none of them really gained that much traction. Um, I guess one that could happen is um, our backup goalkeeper, Runnerson. If we can get a replacement for him, he might go out and loan. Uh, he is honestly impressively bad. Um, yeah, I I feel for the yeah, guy. What was that cup match just, that was just so woeful? Oh, I don't. It was the League Cup game we went out of, I, I believe. I think that was it. Ah, like it, when, um, when we signed him over the summer. The uh, French football Twitter account um, that tweets out lots of transfer news um, was talking about how awful he was, and Arsenal fans thought that they were just being bitter. And no, he's 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 not good. He's really not good. Um, and it's it's almost it's to the point where it's not even like I'm mad. I just feel bad for him. He clearly this is not his level. Um, he's just very bad. Like when when we were prior to the win streak, we went on. Um, I did not think we would get relegated, but if Leno got hurt, then I'd like, wait, no, we might actually get relegated. Um, he's just every game he plays, he's been very bad. Um, so that, that is one, I think if any, if we're going to make any move, it's probably a backup goalkeeper just because he's that bad. Um, 
and I really feel bad about bagging on him this way. Um, but it's it's just he, he, has, he has shown that in his performances. Um, so uh, no hard feelings, but it's not going to work out, um, at least not immediately. Gotcha. All right, and then we are just about out of time, but uh, we'll quickly run through match previews. Uh, hey, Jim, are you going to beat Chelsea? Yeah, I hope so. Um, it might hinge on whether Vardy's fit or not, because he did come off um, mm. with a hit complaint against um, Southampton, but um, he kind of intimated that he would be fine, I think, in the post-match, um, and Brendan Rodgers kind of said the same thing, so hopefully he'll be suited up, ready to go, and I think we were, we are ideally placed to, um, yeah, to take three points from that one, hopefully. Gotcha. I do always like seeing Chelsea lose, so I'll, I'll be on your side and not make any snide <laughs> comments at you on that one. Uh, and then, Dan, you're going to be hosting Newcastle, who are the only team Sheffield United managed to beat, which I fear was more telling about Newcastle than Sheffield United based on their performance today. I assume you're hoping for the three points here. Yeah, I'd really like that. That would be that'd be nice. Um, I don't think we're good enough that we can count on it, but yeah, I, we, I am. I will be disappointed if we do not get three points. Yeah, basically until St. Maximin's back, I think you can write off most Newcastle results as a draw or a loss. Uh, Not to be too rude to Newcastle fans here on the way out, uh, but that will do it for us today. So if you'd like to tell folks where they could find you or anything you're working on, now would be a good time, guys. Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, I've been Jim. You can find me on Twitter at JimNotTweets. And thanks for having me on. I am still Dan, and for now, I'm still an Arsenal fan, and you can still get me at Twitter at the underscore jersey underscore fits. <laughs> wow, a lot of pressure on Arteta there. <laughs> you might not even be a fan of that club anymore if he sticks around. Jeez. Uh, regrettably, uh, for better or for worse, it's a curse. It's staying. Uh, <laughs> I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. You can find the show at EPL Roundtable on Twitter, and you can also search EPL Roundtable in all of the podcasting places, and you will likely find us. Uh, also, I think the championship pod will probably be returning soon uh there was a baby born amongst their group there was a COVID hat amongst their group so i think uh a little leniency on their recent absence is certainly understandable but hopefully they'll be back uh both soon and feeling better um and yeah that'll do it thanks to you so much for coming on today it was a pleasure as always and folks at home we hope you keep listening deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.